You're listening to the B-Fox and B-Frank show, and we've got one weekend of college basketball left now that the Final Four is set. Uh, the, the Zags died, um, which was most upsetting. Um, I'm just remembering now I forgot to retweet the Tom Brody tweet that I do every year when they lose, so I'll have to wait another year for that. Um, it's a shame. But it's it's just a classic. Um, so obviously, only four teams left. Um, well, not six going- if you count the or I don't know, thirteen, fourteen if you count the NIT, CBI, and CIT. Because yeah, old fuck Big the, East. Fuck the CBI because the three game series is coming. Yeah, like so. So DePaul ho- was hosting the the Midwest Regional for the women's tournament. So Correct. the men's team has gotten banished to McGrath, and they've just been winning and playing every fucking Wednesday. So my basketball <laughs> keeps getting moved. I it's an old Big East be, matchup, though. DePaul and over. South yeah. Florida. I mean, two, uh, two of the teams you could count on every year just playing on the first day of the Big East tournament. Yep. Um, yeah, but now, who, who cares? Um, I mean... Like Indiana lost in the NIT, and I was busy watching Captain Marvel. Didn't even didn't even care to watch that game. It, show, um, it shows where we're at right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, not gonna just name the entire Final Four as my most impressive. Um, I stuck with two of them. Um, Got to start off with. Uh, I mean, it's it's tough because I mean basically. I think we can agree there were there were two teams that really stood out on each side, one on each side of the ball. Texas Tech defensively, mm-hmm. um, like Michigan just looked like they had no idea what to do um, offensively. One for nineteen shooting threes, um, which is not great. And then and the walk on hit the only three. Yeah, that's true. Um, Texas Tech uh, against Gonzaga held them under 70 for only the fourth time this year. Worth mentioning, two of those teams, or two of those times, were St. Mary's, who plays just snail's pace. One of the slowest paces in the country. Right. Um, the other time was weirdly Pacific in a game that Gonzaga won by like 33. But anyway, um, just a sterling defensive effort. Um, just. All the helping in the post, um, Josh Perkins looked completely discompobulated the entire game. Um, his turnover numbers don't really reflect it, but he was really shaky with the ball the whole time, which is not something you want to see out of your senior point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's just kind of what Texas Tech does to teams, especially teams that aren't familiar with their style of play. Like Over the course of the Big 12 season, there's going to be teams that, that figure them out. Like The last game they lost was to West Virginia um, in the Big 12 tournament, and West Virginia got out to a massive lead in that game because you know they had seen plenty of film on Texas Tech, not that unexpected. Uh, but when you get to the tournament playing a team that is this good and this aggressive defensively, that, I mean, that really screws a lot of teams up. And like we always say, it's hard to beat a team three times, and that's essentially what... Texas Tech would have had to do against West Virginia. It's their third time seeing them this year. You're going to get to know teams and their tendencies and the weaknesses in their offense. Even with all the departures and injuries and missing players for West Virginia, they're a Division One basketball team. They have talent. It's not a, It certainly isn't a great loss, but it's an understandable one. Michigan, it's been the same thing all year. I feel like I've written it since like mid-January that they just don't have the offense. I don't know where it went. It completely disappeared, though, from earlier in the season when they throttled Villanova by, like, 60, it seemed, at the Pavilion. And, I don't know, all of a sudden, in uh, Big Ten play, they're winning games because they're just holding teams to, like, 55 points. They were a team that definitely peaked way too early. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's simple as that, really. Like, they were they were very impressive out of the gate, and then they just kind of... I mean, kind of coasted, honestly. Um, Like you said, just winning a lot of defensive struggles, losing every game to Michigan State, but pretty much beating everybody else. Um, But I don't know. They were like, yeah. I mean, that's that's why we were 
both kind of expecting Nevada to, to pick them off in the second round. Right. Just didn't really strike us as a team that was a true national title contender. Um, yep. And I mean, we, we spent so much time talking about how, you know, like the one and twos were just on a different level from the rest of the field, but it never really felt like Michigan was, yeah, you know, part of that group. Absolutely. Um, really. But the other, uh, the other most impressive team I wanted to highlight was Auburn. Um, speaking yeah. of hard to beat a team three times, last time they played Kentucky, they lost by 27. Third time's a charm this time. Um, they don't hit 17 threes in this one like they did against UNC, but the backcourt um, of Brown and Harper scored 50. They have been phenomenal all year long, but really turning it on for the tournament. And, I mean, Auburn going through Kansas, albeit not your typical Kansas team, UNC and Kentucky to reach Final Four, that's pretty damn good run. I mean, that, that line, let alone, is going to live forever in Auburn basketball history. That's the, that's the trio they went through to get there. I mean, that is the blue-bloodiest of blue-bloods that you can play, essentially, without Duke being in there. And if New Mexico State hits free yes. throws, they're not even We're here. not even talking like, about this That's the ridiculous right part. It's, uh, it, the, I mean, this could, have been, this could have been New Mexico State. I can't, I, I'm not going to say. Still contend it would have been Kansas in the Elite <laughs> Eight. If New uh, Mexico State won that. Yeah, I, I I don't think the Aggies would have would have pulled off the double upset, but you never know. It could have been, but I highly doubt it. Uh, yeah, I mean, this I was listening to, to Titus and Tate, and they were saying that um, you know it just goes to show how small bounces that go your way can be so beneficial. And it's like once they got that win under their belt, everything started to change. Obviously, it helps that they shoot like. 63s a game and hit 35% of them, so that's a billion points right there, if my math is correct, but man, I mean, the fast pace throws everybody off, because there's no there's an offense, but it's not like an organized offense that you defend against, and it's like you want to see this team play Texas Tech so bad, because it'd be so much fun to see the contrasting styles and the clash of, like, super good high-paced offense versus super good slowed-down defense. But, yeah, I mean, the guard play guard play is key. Obviously, Okiki going down is a killer because he was having an unbelievable tournament. And uh, without him, they're, they're definitely a little short, especially in the uh, forward positions. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that falls on Brown. But, they, I mean, the way they're playing, who knows? Like This is the weirdest Final Four, I think, because... Virginia feels like an underdog despite being a one seed. Auburn certainly is an underdog. Texas Tech feels like the underdog who wasn't really expected to be there because it started with Gonzaga. Some people thought Michigan still. And then they skipped right over Texas Tech and went right to Florida State because Florida State played so well down the stretch. And then, I mean, Duke, Michigan State were the teams in the East. So, uh, interesting fight. I don't know. It's It's very... Weird group of teams, but certainly uh, lived up to the hype that we were waiting for. Yeah, I mean, really, the, the this is this is not too far outside of the realm of possibility. Um, if you look at like preseason polls, um, you know, Virginia was top five, mm-hmm. Auburn, Michigan State, you know. Basically top 10. Um, Texas Tech was the one that kind of came out of nowhere based on who they lost um, and kind of the the question marks coming back. Obviously, the two grad transfers, Mooney and Owens, have been huge. Yeah. But it was was a lot of uncertainty there. Um, And, I mean, some people threw him some courtesy votes, but they weren't really expected to – I mean, certainly not expected to be in this position, certainly not expected to be the team to end – Kansas's streak of um, Big 12 titles. Um, but kind of kind of like Titus was saying on on PMT there's not there's not really any team here at this point in the tournament who I think you can write off as not being a a tournament threat because with Auburn, you know, fifth seed obviously they they have overcome the most to be here. Yeah. 
game to game momentum isn't necessarily a thing, obviously, because they didn't play great against New Mexico State and then they just yep. went on a tear. But I mean, the way they're playing right now has to be filling them with a lot of confidence. And I mean, just the the back to back shooting performances against Kansas and North Carolina would get anybody jacked up. Yeah, you beat you beat your conference rival in the Elite Eight um, after getting whooped by them last time. That shakes you up, and now, I mean, looking forward to a Texas Tech matchup, potentially, but just playing UVA is a contrast of styles there. Right. Auburn is just going to, like like you're saying, Auburn doesn't really have a set offense because they, they want to attack you before you're able to set a defense, and that's pretty much the antithesis of what Virginia basketball is. So, yep. I mean, that's going to be pretty much the ultimate tug of war. Um, who can implement their playing style or i mean come the closest to effectively doing that yeah that's i mean that's the fun part of this is now you get the four teams that have clearly played some of the best basketball i would i think i mean if you look at it these are probably the four teams that played the best throughout the tournament it's not like so that's what you want to see right it's not like duke duke being michigan state and you know they have the two insane missed layups as the reasons they got there or yeah. You know, I don't know. Tennessee blows a huge lead, still manages to win, is down huge to Purdue, and then comes back or something. But that's obviously not the case. All these teams have played complete tournaments. Michigan State struggled in the first half against Bradley and really hasn't played bad since. Um, but stylistically, it's like completely different on each side, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun in those matchups. Like you said, I mean. If we want to break it down and try and make basketball simple, which it's not, but if you want to try and make it simple, it, it's who, it can. It certainly can. But it's who can impose uh, their style of play on the game. And, I mean, Virginia typically does that very well. It's why they're, they've are they been so successful under Tony Bennett. But we've seen them impose their style and still lose games. We've seen Auburn run this high-tempo, high-shooting style game and still lose games. We've seen Texas Tech slow it down, play strong defense, but not find the offense. We've seen Michigan State lose games as well. I'm off the top of my head, Indiana twice. Um, yeah. People forget that. I mean, the entire Final Four now is a combined record of 0-2 against the Hoosiers this year. So, just... How about that? Throwing that out there. The, the Duke-Michigan State Elite Eight game, um, those two teams only went 1-2 and two against Indiana, so... Both having disappointing seasons. To, to fixate on Michigan State for a bit, um, they're doing all of this without Joshua Langford. And yeah. Joshua Langford's backup, Kyle Ahrens. So that's that's just kind of a, a huge role in their roster that has been pretty much glossed over. And that's because Winston has been playing so well. And on top of that, pretty much all of their big men have been kind of stepping up and filling various voids. Basically going with the huge three to beat Duke. And if I'm Texas Tech, it's that front court that worries me the most because for as dominant as Texas Tech was defensively in the second half against Gonzaga, they still got crushed on the glass. Yeah. And Michigan State is just as good, and I would argue probably a little better rebounding team than the Zag. So that that could be an area where, where Texas Tech is in some serious trouble because Michigan State is not um, – as all in on their offense as Gonzaga is. I mean, Gonzaga is a fine defensive team, but they're clearly more offensive oriented. Uh, Michigan state, I think is a more balanced team and definitely a more physical team. I think Gonzaga was a little uh, put off at times with, with how physical Texas tech would be with the help defense and the paint, uh, maybe not getting reaching calls or just kind of looking at the ref when the ball gets slapped away. And I, I mean, I don't expect Michigan State would have any of the same issues um, against Texas Tech. Yeah, I mean, I think Nick Ward's got to be licking his chops to get up against Tariq Owens. Like, Owens is a, a freak athlete. He can jump like crazy. He's got super long arms. But he's like 112 pounds soaking wet. And Nick Ward is just a big boy. So even with the broken hand or fractured hand, whatever he's got going on still, he's still got to be very excited about that matchup. But... I mean, if if Texas Tech slows down Cassius Winston at all, it can be a tough day for 
Michigan State because he really is. I mean, if you look at their possessions, he's got to have the ball in his hands 50% of the time they hold the ball in general. I feel like a lot of their offense is him creating things, uh, creating plays off the dribble. Sure, they have like the high ball screens and the off-ball action going, but so much of their offense is predicated on him getting in the lane and making the right read and pass. And if they can, you know, if Mooney or Moretti or whoever draws the assignment for Winston can disrupt that a little bit because he is turnover prone. If they can disrupt that, it can be off to the races for Texas Tech. Right, and I mean, it it almost does feel like Michigan State is playing with house money because, like, you you see some some guys playing a little better than you would expect, like Matt McQuaid going up and absolutely jamming on fools. Yeah. But like, it's it's kind of a, a thin roster once you start to really take a close look at it, and that's why you know a huge game from Aaron Henry in the Sweet Sixteen was so massive. Mm-hmm. Um, Different guys have been stepping up, but at the end of the day, especially with Ward not 100% and the aforementioned um, guys who are just sidelined indefinitely, it all falls on Cassius Winston. And yeah. he, has, he hasn't had a bad game yet, um, but if he does at some point, like there's really not, not enough for Michigan State to, to kind of pull themselves out of that. Um, I mean, it's, it's really nitpicky because this is a Final Four team, and Right. Who's to say that it's going to happen? But that would be an area of concern um, for for Michigan State. And on top of that, Texas Tech is physical. They're going to foul you. Michigan State's not a great free throw shooting team. Yeah. So that's something that. that that's something <laughs> that can really uh, come into play if you're sending Nick Ward to the foul line. You know, eight to ten got times in a game. How many of those is he going to leave on the table? Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Besides uh, uh, Texas Tech defense, just shut down the guards. I mean, that's that's what they have to do. Close out on shooters. Like Michigan State is at their best when they they get open jump shots. Obviously, that's predicated on getting the big men involved and letting them go to work. And Cassius Winston getting in the lane and hitting that floater that he takes like eight times a game and goes in six. He needs to get going. And then they, I mean, when they have the open looks, they've got to hit them. Texas Tech, they just need to keep finding the offense. Like, their biggest issue earlier in the year was they couldn't find someone else not named Jarek Culver to score the ball. And now it's like Moretti's playing out of his mind. Tariq Owens is adding some offense. Odiase is adding offense. Um, Matt Mooney's shooting well. It's crazy how they all of a sudden have just turned it on. And anything they get from their bench is a huge bonus at this point. Yeah. Um, the Elite Eight, you have. Edwards coming off the bench and hitting two threes. Francis hit one as well. It seemed like all of those just came at absolutely crucial times um, when Gonzaga was, was either coming back or threatening to to pull away a little bit. Um, but, I mean, in, in this game, I'm going to go with Texas Tech because, I mean, Ooh. I need them to win. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and just further expecting, you know, a team that, that can beat Gonzaga – is going to win this game just like Gonzaga would have. Um, but I think the the defense is, is going to be a little better than anything Michigan State has seen. Obviously, Michigan's got a pretty solid defense, and Michigan State beat them three times. But I think it's a very different style of defense, um, and I think it's going to be enough to, to keep the game close, and Jared Culver is going to give them enough offensively to, to make it stick. I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to take Michigan State uh, for the reason that Cash, Cassius Winston, I think, is the best player in the tournament left. Um, quick shout-out to one of our loyal listeners, Mike D. from Staten Island. He asked me pre-tournament about uh, sleeper teams, and I told him Texas Tech 33-1, to and he did not bet it. So shout-out to him. Wow. I thought you were going to say you told him Michigan State. No, no, like, no, no. no. How, <laughs> pretty big sleeper there. He he did not um, like Florida State. Florida State and Texas Tech were my two teams that I, I looked for, and uh, he liked the odds on Texas Tech but didn't pull the trigger. You hate yeah, to see it. That would have been a pretty good payout. Uh, but, yeah, Michigan State's my pick for the game. Winston's the okay. best player left in the tournament. Okay. And then uh, Virginia-Auburn, who you got? I got to go Virginia. The Who's, man. I uh, 
let's talk about Purdue a little bit for a second here. I know you don't want to. We must. I mean, if we're if we're twisting the knife, that's fine. Carson Edwards was incredible, but it was the same thing that we have seen all season long. Nobody else in double figures on that team. He scores 42 of 75 points in the loss. 10 of 19 from three, I believe. He was incredible. He had an unbelievable tournament. I believe he set the record for most three-point makes, and he only played four games. Um, What he was able to do and carry that team is beyond impressive. And no, Purdue did not win the title, nor did they win the tournament, but Carson Edwards certainly put on a performance that was worthy of being remembered. Um, And, I mean, that final sequence, Virginia, this is just killing the analytics people and all the people that are like, you have to foul when you're up three. Ty Jerome. Yeah. With, Fuck those people. With the perfect make-miss. Uh, I think it was Diakite had the tip out. Kie Clark makes such a great pass, and then the floater obviously over Harms, which is just poetic because I can't stand Matt Harms. But then overtime comes, and they, and they do the damn thing. So Virginia, it's... It felt shaky, like I said earlier. They feel like an underdog because of the we got beat by a 16 seed thing that still looms over their head. In case you forgot, they lost last year to UMBC. Kind of and started off really slow against Gardner Webb this year. They have not let as a one seed. Is this their second time in a? I think this is just their second time. We're gonna go with it though for the narrative. This it's is not not ever. <laughs> I'm saying in like the last few years. Oh, they. I mean, they've won. Uh, because Titus tweeted out right away um, after they beat Gardner Webb, so like some stat about how they had like the most wins against sixteen seeds in the last four seasons or something like okay. that. I was gonna um, say their their last like they've trailed three of the last four halves against sixteen seeds, and yeah. yet they're in the final four. Um, I don't know. Even when Ty Jerome, like Kyle Guy, was ice cold early in the tournament. He hadn't hit a career three in the KFC Yum Center until, like, late in the second half against uh, Oregon. They barely squeaked by in that one. They just seem like they're finally getting there. Like, the defense has been playing well. It's just the offense is finally starting to click, and that's exactly what they need. Yeah, I mean, honestly, one of the biggest indicators for me that Virginia is a great team is that Braxton Key just cannot get onto the court for the life of him. Yeah. And maybe that's a Tony Bennett thing, um, kind of similar to, um, you know, guy when he first came to Virginia to, to offensive minded, you have to learn how to play defense first, see yeah, the floor. But too. I mean, yeah, it's, it's shocking to me that Jack Saltz is the only guy off the bench that really got uh, significant minutes in this game. But yeah, like love to pile on to Purdue. Like, I was I was watching the the first half of this game with my brother and dad who are not really college basketball fans certainly not at the level that we are and immediately both locked into good lord that big guy on Purdue is one of the softest players I've ever seen <laughs> like it's it is it is the exact same thing as Isaac Haas yep. last year like hundred percent the more the more things change the more they stay the same like yeah. Carson Edwards phenomenal. Great tournaments. Um, I mean, like he played himself this into was, a Bulls this was, jersey. This was this was a Marcus Howard, yeah, type game this year where he did all the scoring. His teammates really didn't give him anything. But I mean, Matt Harms had had one shot, two points, and one rebound at halftime, um, and then finished six and three in thirty-seven minutes of an overtime game where you're seven three, um, like. How, dude? Um, Virginia does have seven-footers, but not... Sure. Like, they don't play that style. It should be easy enough for a guy like Harms to get a couple rebounds here. Like, when you're opening the broadcast talking about how um, Purdue has the dominant Matt Harms in the center, like, at, le- <laughs> at least pretend that you did, like, any sort of research amount of research. Um, and to his credit, he's he's had some, some good games. He played well against Villanova, um, but... The shortest like the, team I think they played, right? Like there's there's a correlation there, and it's it's not like he's going to be at a, a size disadvantage against anyone Ever. unless they were to play UCF, which yeah. they're not. Um, Florida State too, but yeah. But just yeah, just the fact that 
like they're they're not able to to work the ball inside really at all to to mix it up in any way because there's the no way point Purdue, though. Like yeah. I think this is the point you're getting to. There's no point in them working the ball inside because he's like a net negative offensively. Like yes, he right. can put the ball in if he's a foot or two away, but he's not a guy that's going to be like a back down over the shoulder type big man. That's why Swanigan was so huge for Purdue yeah. because it was a similar like they've kept a similar roster makeup. You got one big guy and just surround him with shooters. Mm-hmm. So you've got three dead eye shooters in the starting lineup and Edwards, Klein, and Eifert. And if you had somebody who is actually a threat to score, then those guys are going to get lots of open looks. But when you're exclusively passing the ball around the perimeter and taking contested shots, it gets a lot harder. Like Klein was hitting ridiculous shots against Tennessee. They were not open looks. Um, And you'll have those games and that's fine, but it's not sustainable in the slightest. And he has a much um, better perimeter defensive team. Tennessee is a fine defensive team, but I mean, Virginia is built on, you know, forming a strong pack line. Then, you know, when the shots aren't falling, like it took a superhuman effort from Carson Edwards to make this a game, and they they still couldn't win. Yeah, they they found a way to lose. Really, I mean, yeah. credit all the credit in the world to Virginia because there's so many things they had to do right to get there into over to get the game into overtime, keep it close, get it to overtime, and then win in overtime, but. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's got a stink. Is I mean, and it's so so weird that Carson Edwards happens to throw that pass out of bounds too. Like he's the guy. I would yeah, put the fault on Klein more than anyone, but I mean, it's going to go down as an Edwards turnover to finish the yeah. game. But yeah, and it, it, it's it was such a strange game though. And I will not argue the logic of following up three i understand the reasoning but yep. it is just such a coward move and i hate it so much i agree i like, think it, like uh, even even the best three-point shooters are going to shoot 40 something percent that's still less than half the time not to mention it's a high press pressure situation that most of these guys have never been in in their lives and most of the time it's going to be off the dribble like with our heart pound you know so many outside factors like adrenaline things like that where they can overshoot the ball i'm going i'd rather take the chance with the uh giving them giving up the three instead of fouling and potentially having all this crazy shit happen i mean look we've seen two games one already in this tournament off of missed free throws duke beats ucf on a missed free throw and now purdue loses to virginia on a missed free throw yeah, I mean, Ken Palm tweets all the time about those insta-losses. Um, there's there's one earlier this season, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, where um, you hit the first free throw, miss it, hit a three, game's over. Yeah. Um, they're just like, I don't know. It, it's tossing them a lifeline a the little bit. The worst you can do is like, go to overtime. Yeah. Like, Unless see, you're we really didn't, stupid and foul. We didn't foul Kentucky, went to overtime, and we won that game. Kevin Willard. Yeah. Again, coming out on top. Only, only need one example. <laughs> That's all it is. Um, but uh, to go back to the original yeah. point of this whole thing, <laughs> I pick Virginia over uh, Auburn. Right. I, don't, I think Auburn's shooting runs out finally, and the loss of Okiki is too much. I'm, I'm going to pick Virginia as well. Um, it'll be an entertaining game, but Virginia is so good at getting other teams to play their game. Yeah. Um, this. Like, even when they don't want to or it's completely against what they normally want to do, they've just been doing it for so long. It's just branded into everyone at that program. Um, yeah. So I, I think Virginia's going to win that a close one. And then, I mean, like, I don't even know if the over-under would be set above 100 if Virginia and Texas Tech was the final. Yeah. But maybe we won't have to worry about that. That is uh... – that's quite the quite the thought, quite the sight, potentially. I mean, it's gonna it's got to be close to Texas Tech, Michigan, I think, right? Over underline. Yeah, I I did I did do some math for a second. Yeah, it was what like one twenty so. something, and there were... D- didn't even come close to that. Yeah, but it's it's like uh, when Wisconsin Virginia used to play in the. 
Big Ten ACC Challenge every year. Yeah. You just hammer the under regardless mm-hmm. of what would have and like forty eight thirty five winners. Yeah, and say the over it's like forty five thirty four one year, like the the total wouldn't even hit like eighty points. Mm-hmm. Just hit the under by forty five. But basketball yeah. the way it's meant to be played. It's, yeah. No. As um, our old listeners would say. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh do we want so, to mention Duke at all real quick? Um, sure we could. The luck ran so, out, I think. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's something I'm actually upset about. And it's, it's kind of me defending Duke. But uh, Rothstein and all these other people getting on talking about how um, like one-and-done teams can't win at all. Oh, yeah. And, and then being like, Oh, and these other teams, you had, like, Jerron Lamb and Matt Jones on Duke. No, you had fucking Justice Winslow, Jaleel Okafor were the stars of that Tyus team. Jones. An- Anthony Davis yeah. was the star of that Kentucky team. Like, that is such revisionist history. Because, you know, if uh, if Duke went on to win the whole thing, you'd just be like, oh, they had Chavin Delorier had a couple of good games in the tournament. Like, Jack White was great. <laughs> yeah, like, shut the fuck up. Like, obviously, not every single person in the lineup is going to be a freshman. Like, yeah. there's not there's not going to be a recruiting class that is, like, seven or eight guys who are all five stars. That's not what, you know, predominantly a one-and-done team is. Um, anyone, anyone with half a brain understands that this Duke team is, you know, primarily one and done even though it might end up only being three guys yeah and the same thing could be said about the kentucky team that won it all and the duke team that that beat wisconsin who was the epitome the pit, yeah. of a veteran team literally like, everyone uh, on that team was what like, a third, try, I, sam decker yeah. was the only one who won pro before he graduated right um i can't remember if kaminsky stayed all four um but yeah. He redshirted, I think, his freshman year, though. So, okay. So he would have been, I think that he was a redshirt junior. E- either way, like, this like, is... Like, I, yeah, I try, I try not to get mad at stuff on Twitter because people are stupid, but yeah. that's, like, how everyone is tweeting that, or treating this, like, you can just make a sweeping declaration like that, yeah. which you can. Like, sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not, but, like, there have been predominantly one-and-done teams that have won the title, and... Mm-hmm. If you can't see that, then that's again just revisionist history. But yeah, I think, and I feel like people are just piling on. Like, yeah, Duke had terrible offense in general. Like, letting Zion and RJ Barrett go one on one is not the best way to play offense. Believe it or not, even though they're very good each individually, um, any sort of offense they could have run probably would have been significantly better because I think Trey Jones is probably one of the best ball control point guards and distributors in college basketball. Cam Reddish is like a great outside shooter that they haven't had in what since Grayson Allen was a junior and he was consistently hitting threes, so two whole years. But um, I don't know. I I just feel like they squandered a great opportunity in terms of not implementing an offense. They just kind of went to like AAU ball instead of coaching an offense yeah and that's that's sometimes the temptation when yeah like you're so much more athletic than everybody else but i mean they're the the things we knew were were wrong with them like still the same in this game only shot 33 percent on threes only shot 61 percent from the line and you know mostly rj and zion got theirs but there really wasn't much what, else. No, like only five guys scored. That's it's the same number of people on Michigan that scored against Texas Tech. Yeah. Um, so not not a whole lot of balance there. Um, I mean, technically only six guys on Michigan State scored, but they only played seven guys. And right. the seventh played for three minutes. So <laughs> a little different there. Um, yeah, like – and. That wasn't that wasn't the the best game for Cassius Winston um, from an offensive perspective because I mean he was not efficient. Trey right. Jones is a very good defender. Took him twenty three shots to score twenty. Still got to double digits in assists. He still makes sure to get everyone involved. Um, Xavier Tillman had one of his better games of the entire year. Um, like you're saying, these these big guys, the the three big guys who 
Michigan State will rotate in and out just wear you down, and especially a team like Duke where, you know, their bigger players Like, they didn't even have post-up plays for Zion. Yeah. Like, Like, Zion and RJ are are two of their bigger players, and they're exclusively on the perimeter pretty much. Like, Zion will, will drive the lane, but he's... He's never, you're saying he's never posting anybody up. Yeah. And he has the body frame where he can just keep you on his hip. It doesn't matter if you're like four or five inches taller. He's so wide that you're never going to be able to get across him to block the shot. Or he'll just dunk on you. Right. Like, I don't, I don't understand how that's just not in their offensive arsenal at all. There should be five plays immediately or one play that they run at least five times a game where he gets the ball on the low block. And it's not like they couldn't do it. They kind of ran a play like that. It was just like a Delorier set a high ball screen. Everyone cleared out and uh, Williamson posted up, but he doesn't, he doesn't get deep enough on the block or anything like that to, to really be effective because all he does is face up and then either take a jump shot or pass out. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's really just not used to it. Like yeah. it's not something he does. And you think with Bolden and uh, Delorier there in practice with him every day, they could run some really good drills to get him used to playing a physical, you know, forward like that. But obviously, did not happen. Yeah. So Duke, if you're looking for a new coach, we are uh, we're available. Available. He can consult. I I watched John Shire plenty um, as a youth, so we can we can hang out, reminisce about those games. Be great. It'll be great. Um. Yeah. But that's. It's kind of how, how the tournament stands right now. Um, obviously, sort of an off-brand Final Four. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are kind of talking about maybe maybe CBS will be worried. I mean, I really I doubt it. Don't think it matters that much. Like March Madness is popular. We're, like we're not we're not talking about the NHL playoffs. Sports like, gambling you know, is legal for the first time with March Madness. That's going true. On. Like people are going to pay attention. But it's it's not like it's an off-brand Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Um, like that that'll get bad ratings. But I mean, people people are still going to watch. Like Indiana hasn't been in the tournament in forever, and I'm still going to watch every year. Like that's yep. not. It wasn't fun to say out loud, but that's the reality of life. It happens. Um, so, moving on the tournament, um, closing with the coaching carousel already moving. Um, couple couple big names moving um, to new jobs. I wanted to say bigger jobs, but I mean this isn't true if we're talking about Fred Hoiberg yeah. going to Nebraska. But could Nebraska beat the Chicago Bulls? People are asking now. I mean, what <laughs> the the Bulls in their present state? <laughs> Even still no, still no, because no, it's Nebraska. But, yeah. Um. Like Fred Hoiberg, a higher paid coach than Archie Miller, um, and a lot of others, and I mean, probably I would say a better coach than Archie Miller, as are most of the Big Ten coaches at this point. But anyway, um, I think a couple of years ago you would look at this and say, why would why would Fred Hoiberg go to Nebraska? He can get you know. Presumably a a much better job, but UCLA is even a better job than Nebraska and it's available. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, if anything, I I think Chris Beard is, has really proven you really don't have to be at a big name school to win. And even when Hoiberg was starting out at Iowa state, that was absolutely not a big name school. Um, That was, they were consistently in the bottom of the big 12 and Nebraska in a lot of ways is kind of similar. Mm -hmm. They can be, one of those transfer-heavy schools. They they kind of already were with um, Palmer and Copeland, two of yeah. their best players, um, already being transferred. So it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if he got back into that. Um, I mean... There's plenty of people Hoy- out there. Hoiberg already, already is on the record as saying he hates recruiting, and I understand transfers is kind of a form of recruiting, but I also feel like it's less intensive because um, yeah. you kind of you kind of know more what you're going to get. And... I mean, Nebraska is the type of place where they will, I mean, on a salary alone, but just the the improvements they've made in the athletic department and facilities, they will just throw money 
at the program yep. um, in hopes of improving it. Tim Miles, entertaining guy. Um, he's going to be great at ESPN next year. He is literally Tom Green yeah. 2.0. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's off. He's he's off brand. Tom Crane. Yep. Um, the yeah, he's Safeway Tom Crane. Um, yes. But <laughs> the, he he got Nebraska um, a little momentum. You know, it was great when they made the the NCAA tournament with Tron Petway, um, but. Ultimately, it was kind of the the same season over and over. Um, last year, they got a lot of wins against shitty teams. Kind of pissed they missed the tournament. This was the year, really, that they were supposed to capitalize, uh, make the tournament, get some better wins. Mm-hmm. They did not. Did not um, until the Big Ten tournament. Really, they did lose um, Copeland early, but true. Even um, so, I don't think Isaac Copeland makes up for yeah. You know, they, 10 I mean, losses or whatever. Yeah, they were. It was kind of presumed preseason they'd be at worst top five team in mm-hmm. the Big Ten, um, and they were just above Northwestern. So, I mean, can't really keep Tim Miles anymore at that point. Um, but, I mean, Hoiberg's pretty much a home run hire for them, I'd say. Yeah, and I think you hit on a really important point. Uh, Bill Moose is the AD there. He came from Washington State, which – People probably won't remember at this point, but when he took over was a laughing stock essentially of all power five football teams. He hired some guy named Mike Leach, if you've ever heard of him. And now all of a sudden Washington State is competing for Pac twelve titles and that was what five years removed now? Not even. He is a guy that will find the donors, and Nebraska has plenty of them. He will find the donors, he will find the people to make the money work, and he will get in there and he will throw the money money at the situation until it's better. He's made two massive hires already with Scott Frost in football and now Hoiberg, and it just seems like Nebraska is massively on the upswing. Yeah. Yeah, Scott Frost, too. You're absolutely right. That's, that's a huge one. And that's, I mean, ultimately they're you know, their brand still wants to be a football school. But mm-hmm. I mean this is this is the biggest contract in Nebraska basketball history. Yeah. Um there's only ten coaches in the country who are gonna make more than him annually. So this is I mean they're they're going for it right away. But yeah. Um I don't know, he'll 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 have to get some players. It'll be interesting to see how aggressive he gets right off the bat in the transfer market. Um, I, I love that you just get to use that soccer term now. But yeah, there's, <laughs> like there's there's a lot of good players out there already. And I'm sure he's going to be a major player. Um, Nebraska would be a, a tough sell, I think, traditionally. But but with you know such a, I think, player friendly coach in the college game who kind of lets guys just, just do whatever offensively. Um, yeah. I think that's going to be a big draw, and I think Nebraska probably give it a, a couple of years, but I think they're going to be a pretty fun team to watch um, if Hoiberg's really able to to implement his brand of basketball. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things he did at uh, Iowa State was Hilton was like the hardest place to play in America when he was coaching there. Teams yeah. would come in and they would just get throttled and have no idea what just happened to them. So. If he can turn Nebraska into anything close to that, that's going to be very dangerous for you know the entirety of the Big Ten, but all these other teams that are are going to be playing Nebraska. I mean, Pinnacle is uh, sneaky, yeah. tough to play in already. Um, like they get big crowds, definitely in the yeah the the upper upper half of the Big Ten. I mean, there there are really a good amount of tough places to play in the Big Ten, um, the traditional power certainly, but yeah, I mean Nebraska is always up there um, when players get pulled as one of the tougher places to play. And yeah, as the on-court product improves, that will only um, increase. Um, Cause I mean, Illinois used to be always forever and ever one of the, the toughest places to play orange crush, always the most intimidating, obviously not the case anymore, but Nebraska could get to that level. Big bad um, Brad's certainly. got some work to do. Yeah. Um, and then, SEC has got a lot of job openings, um, they do. and those will be filled um, pr- progressively. Um, A&M basketball looking to make 
a similar splash as AM, AM football did um, with Jimbo, kind of hiring away a coach from, you know, already a power five school. But um, an actual hire that's already happened, Alabama, Avery Johnson out, Nate Oates in from Buffalo. Um, I mean, the, the coaching the coaching ranks in the SEC are, I mean, Avery Johnson was a pretty good coach for, you know, being in the SEC, but yeah. I think Nate Oates is more, more equipped to the college game, and I think that's it's a great hire considering what he continued to do at Buffalo after Bobby Hurley left. Yeah, I think the, there's a couple key points that you hit on. One of them is that Avery Johnson is a good recruiter. He could get great players there, but it didn't seem like his coaching style really translated to college basketball. Uh, Nate Oates was essentially the architect or helped architect the team that Buffalo had. He was the head recruiter while Bobby Hurley was head coach. He put together the team, he got the guys there, and then he really turned into, I think, a very good in-game coach. You could see it more so towards the end uh, when they played with that target on their back against all these MAC teams and would be in tougher situations, tough environments. You know, Some teams that sell out one game a year and it's Buffalo. Um, he was able to put together plays to get you know whoever was hot or whoever he thought had the best matchup open and I think it's a good hire. I can't say home run because I feel like everyone calls every hire a home run hire, but I think it's it's going to be a good one, and it, it really just depends on how uh, he does recruiting because he's going to get a lot of out of his players. We've seen that already through uh, the success that Buffalo's had. And sure, a lot of that can be attributed to Bobby Hurley laying the foundation there, but Nate Oates continued that. I mean, they won 30 games this year, I believe, so something that uh, Alabama would love to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the Hoiberg hire is a home run hire. I wouldn't call this that um, because as as well qualified as he is um, and appears to be, I mean, it's it's still just it's a smart you know, hire. hiring. Yeah, it's, it's hiring a mid-major coach to a power six school. Sometimes those work out, but they don't always. Yeah. Um, I mean, John Gross was at one time seen as a smart hire for Illinois coming from the MAC. Um and I think that, that Oates has earned himself a little more respect because he's not just getting this hire based off of, you know, one especially strong tournament run. Mm-hmm. Um, Buffalo was, you know, nationally recognized for the whole season um, in addition to, you know, what they did last year as well. Right. Um, so this is, this is something he's he's built into. Um, he's, he's done the groundwork as an assistant, now as a head coach to really get this opportunity going to be tough coaching in the shadow of Nick Saban, but as Will Wade has proven at LSU, it's not impossible to get the basketball team um, in similar standing. So, I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to see what he does. And, I mean, the... When you allegedly said, have the bag, though. Yeah, well... <laughs> allegedly, I, mean, I said. D- Dick Fitel is just trolling LSU fans, just mentioning scandal in every tweet. It's um, so bad. Like, especially about Duke. Um, It's, like, a little funny, but also, come on. Um, But, like, so many good coaches in the SEC right now. Um, It'd be interesting to see who Vanderbilt ends up getting. Um, You know A&M is going to go for what they consider a home run hire. Obviously, going for Buzz Williams, we'll see whether or not that happens. Um I, I might lean towards that happening based on how noncommittal he's being right now when asked about that. Usually not a great sign for the job that you're currently at. Yeah. Uh, but whoever they hire, I, it's they're, they're going big name or bust um, to try to get that into a consistently winning program. But, I mean, Kermit Davis, great job in his first year at Ole Miss. He looks like he's there to stay. Yep. Um, I mean, everybody... Yeah, I mean Frank Martin at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Obviously the Rick Barnes for all the shit he gets. Like yeah. ten- Tennessee, not not the easiest place. That to guy win, named John Calipari with, still wins games. Yeah, lifetime contracts now. Yeah. Um at Kentucky. So possibly putting I would what's the what's the buyout on something like that? Think it's got to be like seventy six virgins or something, right? Like I, I just read the headline and I didn't 
Like, I'm, how do you value I'm a, I'm a, a buyout on I, that? Yeah, do you do you look at like what his life expectancy actually is? You get some doctors in there. Um, I think like, you got to do very, like a uh, hundred thousand dollars per win, and then go throughout. Um, or find the average wins, do $100,000 a win for the seasons, and then multiply that by, like, five. And that's what you get. I'm skeptical of everything I read today with it being... I hate April Fool's Day. April oh Fool's. God. It's the fucking worst. Yep. Um, okay, so... It's a combination of a head coaching extension and a paid role as an ambassador after his retirement, which to me sounds like the cushiest gig in the history of the world. Isn't that what Drake is um, already for Kentucky? Yeah, but they probably like booted him. So, like, <laughs> we, we, so we see what happens to teams you support. Yep. So got to get back out of there. to Toronto. Yeah. Um, yeah, but well, good for him, I guess. Congrats now, to Cal. Get, let's get the home and home rolling again, you coward. Yeah. Let's let's get the home and home rolling. I agree. He is a coward. He won't do it with us either. Yeah. <laughs> long, <laughs> long time rattles, Kentucky and Seton Hall. Um, yeah. Any, anything else you wanted to touch on? Those are the, the only two hires I really have so far. Yeah. No, I mean, I have a, a list, a tracker going on the site. Uh, LMBFsports.com will get you there. You can check it out. I'm going to write about the bigger guys that get hired. I'll throw you know little blurbs underneath or guys that I like. I'll uh, Jamie and Christian going to George Washington. He's pulling the Brad Underwood, but yeah, that's that's about it. Neat. Um, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll have basically our our season summary, our season uh, capstone podcast next week, probably. Um, wait to to drop that until after the national title game. Yep. Um, but yeah, it'll be be an exciting weekend. Even without you know the Dukes and Kentuckys of the world, we'll still find a way to have fun. I promise you. Um, yeah, and then listen to us next week. We'll break it down. Another phenomenal college basketball season. <laughs> <laughs>